Now, in the wake of the Black Lives Matters protests, um, we thought we'd have um, Deborah Somerin on the show again, because Deborah's been on the show before and we really enjoyed her contribution. Deborah's a social entrepreneur and she dro- joins me on the line now. Hi, Deborah, how are you? Hi, Mario, how are you? Are you well? I'm good, I am. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're good, but it must have been, it, it must have been, I suppose, an emotional week for you, uh, looking at this stuff going on around uh, on the other side of the Atlantic, yeah? Yeah, so I think... For me personally, you know, I was on an emotional roller coaster. I'm cocooning. Um, I have asthma. So I've been cocooning for the last um, 10 weeks at my son. So I was already kind of like everyone is going on that. One day we're good. The next day we're happy. And all of this stuff layered on top of it has just, you know, I, I think I finally got to a place where I was, okay, work from home is fine and all of this stuff happened and now it's just been, I've, I've taken a week off work next week. I I just feel sadness, anger, frustration, um, hope is probably where I'm at now. Um, and yeah, yeah, a lot of fear, fear being a huge one um, because, you know, with everything going on right now, all of the people of colour in Ireland, um, like Irish people who are now speaking out on their experiences, the reason they didn't do so before was, well, I can't speak for everyone, but I know in my case was fear. Um, and the first time I was spoken out about stuff, um, I got called a race hustler and it was just horrible. So... Um, yeah, it's a, it's a lot. It's a lot. And you're seeing what's, you know, I have African-American friends that I have these conversations with. Um, and it's it's a lot. Yeah. It's a lot. It's De- a lot. Deborah, this week um, you were um, writing, like every black person in Ireland, I'm battling with a lot of different emotions right now. And you've just um, explained some of those emotions that you're kind of on a roller coaster. But you also have family living in New York. Is that right? So you have some firsthand, yeah. you have you've family who've, who've been watching this unfold firsthand. Isn't that right? Yeah. So my, so my family would be quite conservative. Um, my uh, brother lives in New York with his son. So, you know, they live in a, um, let's say kind of middle class kind of um, area and it's terrifying it's terrifying when you're seeing the videos of a young black man out for a jog in a nice neighborhood and getting shot it is terrifying when you're seeing a young black man in his car unarmed getting shot it's absolutely terrifying like my little um, my nephew is, goes to college um, in New York as well so it's he could very easily um be in the wrong place at the wrong time or even just given he's grown he grows up in a middle class area he could just be visiting a friend and um someone in that neighborhood um can make a decision that day that that he's a threat and and that they have the right to take his life and that's a lot That's a lot to sit with, a lot. I think that when we, listen, I think when we watch it, right, over here, I think, I'm trying to to say something which is, it's difficult to say because it's more of a subtle feeling than anything else. So I think that when some people over here watch what happens over there, there's a kind of underlying feeling that, yeah, but they were in the wrong place in the wrong time and what are they doing there anyway and who are they really and were they up to something? And really... What I've learned in the last week from just watching endless interviews with just normal black people on the street 
is that they feel threatened for their life from just being black. Nothing else, just the color of the skin, they feel their lives are under threat. And they feel that the adrenaline courses through their body during the day because they don't know when something might happen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I would, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That is the lived experience. And, you know, I think for me, you, even for my Irish friends, for us to um, have a conversation with our African-American friends here, it's around racism and around race. It's very different um, in that that fear that they feel is so much stronger than anything um, that we've necessarily have to had to it's not it's not the same type of racism that we would have experienced here in Ireland yes um it's so much more dangerous mm. um uh, in terms of the laws and everything else that they have there and it's just horrific it's horrific one of my friends um uh, talks about this and, and and she talks about um seeing people in her community driving around um, in a in a pickup truck with a gun and um, that's terrifying it's like how how can you just how is that normal you know how is that how is that normal that people are driving around trying to intimidate people in that way that's that's horrific I can't imagine what I would do if someone was if people were just driving around my area with guns to try and intimidate black people or Jews or whoever it is that all of these crazy white supremacists, you know, support. Terrifying. And then you never know who these people are. They could be people who are in the police force, who are in the army, even with um, the, the there's been a couple of pictures of some riot police with white supremacy stickers um, on their riot gear. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the skull, it's, the, it's from... Um, it's from a Marvel movie. Although mm-hmm. Marvel have been doing everything they can to distance themselves away from okay, yeah. from the symbol, um, you know, and um, that's horrific. Yes, like that is terrifying because now you know that person that's driving around your neighborhood with a gun, you know, trying to intimidate that person who's online, spewing so much hate about you. Yeah, about people that look like you. Yeah. Deborah, you've you you alluded to the fact there that obviously it's a different experience over in America to here. So I suppose here what you meant was that there is more systemic and endemic um, racism that it's more underlying. Um, but there there's no question. But I, I I would have thought that if we regard ourselves, just Irish people would regard themselves as as pretty much not being in any way um, racist. Really, I think we would describe ourselves as being tolerant. And as being um, and as not being racist, what are your exper- What are your experiences, uh, uh, Deborah? How would you answer that? Sorry, can you repeat the question? Sorry, you just I lost you there for oh, a minute. Oh, sorry, Deborah. Yeah, um, I think that what you said there was that it was a different experience over in America to maybe what it is here, and that's for the guns, etc., and the white supremacists, and obviously, and here is you alluded to the fact that obviously it's more systemic the racism and more underlying and more nuanced. But um, and I was I was further saying that I think that if Irish people, uh, well, let's say white Irish people, would probably describe ourselves as sure I'm not racist. No, 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 not at all. I'm the, the Irish people aren't racist. We're very tolerant. So I wanted to um, gently ask you about your experiences in that regard. What do you think? 
from your experiences yeah. living in Ireland? And, you know, I can give you a really sad example. Um, so I remember, so, okay, so let, let me take you on a journey for me and my son, right? I'm obviously a black woman. I moved to Ireland. I moved to Nace when I was 10. Um, we were not, it was, there weren't a lot of black people living in Nace at that time. You'll be shocked to hear. Um, this is obviously 16 years ago. Um, and um, I remember going to, for example, going to my first teenage disco getting so excited getting my rara skirt like all the girls were blah 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 getting to my first teenage disco my friends running away from me like i was chasing them all around this disco and i was like hang on i was like sorry what's going on they're like when the girls was like just leaned in a month have you um you just don't know how to say it to you because they don't just feel bad but they don't want to be seen with you because you're black and that's an experience i had a long time ago in Nice, okay? That's that's me. That's that's like, you know, I, I've gone on a journey to say, you know, we've hopefully... Honestly, I thought we would have moved on. I would have thought that, you know, my son, who is, especially because he's mixed race, his son is... His dad is Irish. Dad's from Wicklow. Um, his name's Liam. My son's name, not his dad. And um, Liam has grown up here he goes he lives in both homes he me and his dad co-parents so he's here um, and then he's in his dad's house he has all of his grandparents and everyone that fusses over him so he lives in a white and a black home um so Liam's obviously asked questions growing up you know why is my skin color different to mine and your dad mine and my dad's and stuff like that just little things but aside from that it's not been a thing we told him he's a zebra he's special all of this amazing stuff so he it's not a thing for him Imagine my surprise when my um, eight, nine-year-old um, asked me one night before bed what the N-word is. Mm. Like, he actually says it. Mm. And I am so sad that my eight, nine-year-old knew that word. Mm. Like, because some, and the reason he knew it was because he was being bullied. And people were saying it to him mm. and saying it around him in school. And we'd already noticed kind of a change in him for a few months. He was kind of pulling away. He wasn't really eating. And anyone who knows my son Liam knows he will eat his food, my food, and everybody else's. Um, he is, he, he's obviously a, a, teenage, a growing teenage boy or not teenager, but anyways. Um, you know, and it was, it was, um, it was heartbreaking. So when we tried to kind of get to go on to get onto the school about it, this is what's going on, given the examples, blah blah blah. First of all, the school had been aware and just not let me know as a parent. Um, and second of all, the school refused to adopt a zero tolerance um, approach to it. Mm. Um, it was very much so. Um, there was just a lack of empathy. To be completely honest with you, that my that me and my son felt to the extent that my son stopped telling the teacher when these things were happening, oh. and his white friends were the ones going to tell the teacher this kid did this to Liam because they were going even at like that age, those children knew 
that's not okay. Yeah. So um, I, I pulled him out of that school because I just felt like it was going to, I know, I know how long it took me to unravel all of that stuff from when I was a child mm. um, and be able to understand and not be angry about it and be able to understand it was ignorant. Um, but for my son, you know, I don't want him to grow up with any self-hatred of himself. I don't want him to grow up feeling like he is less than because of the color of his skin. I want him to grow up and be proud of who he is. So I put him in a new school that does have a zero tolerance policy okay. and he's been so much happier. Mm. And I think that just goes down to it in terms of the same things that I was experiencing when I was in primary school 16 years ago or whatever, you know, are the same things that my poor child are experiencing in primary school today. And, you know, he goes to school, he goes to a good school and a good area and all of that fun stuff. So it's, it's, it's really heartbreaking that I had to put him in an international school for, for him to feel happy and content in who he is. He's been there for two years now and it's honestly a different child. Yeah. Um, all his teachers love him. He's so, so um, content, so happy and supportive. And that wasn't who yes. he was when he was in the old school. It was obviously massively taking a toll on him and how he viewed the world. And it was just a lot. It's a lot. Yes. It's a lot. So Deborah, yeah. do you think Irish attitudes are improving in this regard? I think that what we have, I think that what people are calling for here isn't, um, isn't saying, you know, it, it's saying when these things happen, um, the minority voice seems to matter less. Okay. And let me give you an example of that. We had the direct provision um, scandal in Skivering, um and we had um, our Minister for Justice on the radio saying that he moved human beings into accommodation that had no running hot water. Mm -hmm. And they were in that situation, not for like days, for weeks. And the heating was apparently possibly, I think few people got like, you know, stand, they're standing heaters or whatever. But when they moved in initially, like he specifically moved them in there when there was no heating and no hot water. Yeah. And it's like when we're hearing things like that and people aren't outraged in the community about the fact that our taxpayer money is being used to put people in substandard housing. Yes. That's not value for money. Mm. That's not value for money in any scenario. In terms of how much we spend um, on direct provision, we shouldn't be having any, you know, we shouldn't have Leo Radiker standing up or any politician standing up in the doll acknowledging that we are putting people in substandard accommodation. Like mm. that is just horrifying. Mm. And so I think that what this is, is this like minority voice, you know, we need to start making sure that everyone's voice matters just just as much as the, the majority voice matters just as much as the minority yeah. voice. You know, um, and that's that's across the board, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, obviously, one of the, the cliches that you hear when you hear about this, um, every so often, these, you know, whether it's Rodney King in, in 1992 or George Floyd now, and, you know, or the 60s, the late, this is, these are the biggest protests since the late 60s, you know? Yeah. Um, and we talk about it and we, we will the protests last 10 days or maybe the last two weeks, maybe the last three weeks. And then it just goes away again. Yeah. And, and it, seem, it seems, listen, I, I don't want to be downhearted about it, but it seems as if nothing is ever learned and we just go back to the same position. Um, that's it. And, and, that, and that's what I, I'm, I'm wondering how anybody can make a difference this time or any time. 
Um, but anyway, in relation to Ireland, one of the things I think that's important is we always talk about education. And that word just drives me mad because I never know what it means, education. But mm-hmm. I, I was talking to Patrick just before we came on to talk to you. And one of the things I think that I, I would want to see was, I said, Patrick, imagine if Tony Holohan was a black man. Mm-hmm. That every week we were listening to Tony Holohan, a black man, giving us, mm-hmm. uh, telling us what we could and we couldn't do in regard to restrictions and guidelines and everything. And it occurred to me that this is what we need to see more of. We need to see more Tony Holohan, black man. We need to see our news being read to us by a black woman, a black man. We need a black weather person. We need black politicians, black ministers. Um, We need to see black people and people of colour, all colour, in positions of power. So that they are the role models in our society. It's all very well to have jokes down the pub going, ah, it'll be great when Claire line out with a, Claire line out with a South Korean half forward and a, and a black full forward and a Harley in her hand. That'll be great, won't it? Jesus Christ. Sure, we'll, dare, we'll have Ahmed there with his old Harley there and we'll have, he'll give him over to Kindu. Go on, Kindu. Go on, Kindu. Over to Ahmed. Ahmed there to, to Han Song Ping. Han Song Ping sticks it in the back of the net. That'll all be great. But it isn't. It's just a joke. What you really need is to, you need Han Song Ping or Ahmed or whatever as Tony Holohan. That's what mm-hmm. I think anyway, because otherwise Absolutely. we just otherwise we just keep rubbishing these platitudes about well, what we need, Deborah, is more education. What the <laughs> hell does that mean? Education. <laughs> and this is it, and this is it. And you know, that was why I I was struggling with how to respond to everything going on. And I felt like I needed to post something, you know, and that's why um, I, I did this post on, on LinkedIn, but it, I suppose the, 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 it's awareness. It's understanding that in our organizations, there are black people, there are people of color, not even just black people, travelers, people with disabilities, that there are barriers to pe- people who are in the minority being able to live in, and participate in society the way that people who are quote unquote normal um, can live their lives. And, and it's things like that. There, that research that I linked to by Dr. Evan Joseph, she's, she lectures on black studies in UCD, yeah. but she's, she's done lots of research on this, but there's so much research on, in so many other areas um, in this, on this, whether it's disability, whether it's gender, whether it's, um, what, what else is there? <laughs> Religion, you know, whether, whether, I don't know, but. We can mix know, them all and, together. And, Mix them all, but this is it though, you know, it's like this time has to be different because the people who are out there protesting, it's different. There's a change in mindset than when this happened 70 years ago or whatever. Yeah. Um, very, you know, it's a much more diverse group of people, white people, Hispanic people, you yeah. know, um, black people, everyone is out there. And, you know, it's, it's just really beautiful. It's people coming together and saying, it's time for change. We need a 100% human-first culture going forward. Everyone needs to matter. And if there are barriers there for some people um, to progressing, then we need to address that with actions. We need to look at our policies and procedures, and we need to see how we can how we can help people move along those organizations into position of power better. Correct. And it's yeah. and, 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 and it's and it's just that simple, you know, and it's not even about giving someone doing it not based on merit. You know, it's not that these people get held back based on merit. It's because oh their personality is it's not really like Deborah. Know. Deborah, thank you so much for joining us. We've run out of time. Deborah, uh, please come on the show again. And listen, I hope your asthma goes okay, and I hope the cocooning goes okay, and I hope your family are okay over in New York. Deborah Summerin, thank you very much for joining me. Thank you.